And welcome to the 27th episode of the Outside Centre Film Podcast. This week, for no reason other than me wanting to do one, we are doing an Asian film special. With films representing the countries of Australia, China, the Philippines and uh, Japan, we're also going to be looking back at a seminal piece of Japanese cinema right at the end. But we're going to jump straight into the reviews, Paul, because we've got a lot to talk about. And I'm coming over to you for this one. It's um, the Australian film Charlie's Country. And before you say anything, yes... Australia is now Asia because they won the Asian Cup football tournament. Yes, and they, we, if, they, if they didn't regard themselves as Asian, they would not have even entered it in the first place. Yes, we divine consonants on how football decides. Absolutely. And the fact that Asia are now, the Asian uh, Confederation now want to throw Australia out is, is neither here nor there. Indeed not. They have gone down in the history books as an Asian winning cup competition team. Therefore, they are Asian. But anyway, on a serious note, Charlie's Country Paul is from a director that you like a lot. Indeed. So Tell us about this film, tell us about him mm-hmm. and other ones that you've seen and that kind of thing. Well, this film is basically about Aboriginal uh, oppression and the state of their lives in contemporary Australia now. It's basically about a guy called Blackfella Charlie and he's out of sorts. Blackfella Charlie. Blackfella Charlie. <laughs> and it's kind of like he's a, sort of an indigenous person, obviously an Aboriginal, and they live on the margins of society, often in their own communities, and he gets drunk, he's smokes a lot of pot, uh, he mixes with other Aboriginals and they sit and get drunk and talk a lot and the police harass them and, and sort of make their lives a misery by, for example, they go hunting and then they come back with whatever they've killed. The police uh, take it off them and say, you haven't got a licence. How much is a licence? $60. They haven't got any money so they they can't go hunting anyway. So they can't become self-sufficient or anything. And basically it's a long series of events and he, he slips into a kind of... Uh, a kind of darker world he ends up in prison it's a miserable chain of events and uh, and he comes out a, a little bit wiser but you know more of a radical and a rebel and it's basically about australia and its treatment of aboriginals Indeed. now and that's yep. that's about all we can say at this it's by rolf to and i am a big fan of his he made a film called bad boy bubby back in 93 he's made quite a lot about marginalised oppressed groups and obviously the key ones I've noticed are disability and Bad Boy Bubby is about a guy who's a kind of a uh, mentally ill who befriends a guy with cerebral palsy and they go on a rampage and, and I have recommended it on this podcast before which I know you didn't take I mean we've ignored button. it because it's about disability and exactly. no, one, no one else no, cares no, apart from you but it's by Rolf Deher but, it, but it, in a way that's what's so good about him he doesn't make disability films they, they have disabled people in it a bit like uh, the Farrelly brothers have just dis- disabled people people in him and his friends are disabled but but they're not disability films they're really good he did make a very specific disability film called dance me to my song back in 98 and i emailed him even back in 98 the director and he sent me a copy which was to his credit was and i'm very very grateful and i've been a big fan ever since oh we should say that has no bearing on whether you like charlie's country or not (laughs) otherwise this podcast has got even less reputation than it has already paul (laughs) but and the other thing to note about it is Blackfella. Have you ever seen a film called Walkabout with Jenny Agutter? I've heard, of, I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. Well, they're in the outback and a young Aboriginal boy comes across them. It's very famous. Uh, Jenny Agutter takes her clothes off. So lots of people, who, men who are 50, 55, have a thing about Jenny Agutter yeah. because of that. The guy who plays Blackfella Charlie is that young lad. Ah. Uh, so that's a Still nice, playing Black Lads, is, <laughs> is a nice little flashback, and that's uh, David Gulpilly, and he is a... 
He is a legend in Australia as a dancer. That's his primary thing. Ah. And he did dance for the Queen. And there's little references to dancing there for the is. Queen in this that are linked to his personal story, as well as his problem with, with alcohol. And, you know, he actually has been in prison for assaulting his wife, etc. But, and again, that's all part of the Aboriginal kind of kind of oppression and the way they live their lives under the threat. I thought it was brilliant. Mm -hmm. I think it was the Australian entry for the best foreign language, uh, yep. Gertrude, as we call them. And, and I thought... <laughs> yeah. So you, you, you were thinking what I was going to you say. Are about, you are able to remember things. I'm quite <laughs> impressed, yes. So it was put forward for Gertrude. Sadly didn't make it. Uh, sadly didn't make it because I think it was well worth it. I, th I think it's excellent. I think it's, 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 a, it's a pure character study. That, that is full of emotion, full of life, full of Australia, full of compassion, full of understanding, and full of contempt yep. for what we, uh, which is white people in, uh, in, in Australia, have done. Although, actually, he was born in Holland, Rolf de Her, as you might guess. His parents emigrated to Austra uh, Australia. And so I thought it was excellent. So he, was, sorry, he would therefore know, probably about being marginalised? Yes, Yes. So he's bringing that to the... Yeah. Which, again, would explain his kind of history of films of marginalised groups and yep. whatever. Uh, so he's not an insider, he's not an outsider, but he knows all about Australia because he's... Yep. I think he moved on his about eight or something. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was good. <laughs> it's my second favourite film of the week. I thought David Gupp-Lilly was excellent in it. There's no doubt about it. Um, he plays uh, Black Feather Charlie. Um, he's in it as of the Aboriginals, and in fact, everyone I thought was genuinely very, very good in the film. I enjoyed the presentation of the, I, I suppose you could call them the factions of characters, where you've got the pure whites, you've got, and then you've got the pure blacks, and then you've got the Aboriginals who want to live the life of the pure whites, mm. and then you've got the the Aboriginals who want to live as Aborigines, which I thought was quite interesting. I enjoyed, and I was convinced by the divide. The way of life, attitudes, social social divide and things like that. Some of it was a little over the top and obvious. Other stuff was more subtle. But again, like uh, the police officer's wife, you need that. Why make it subtle if it isn't subtle? Just present it as it is and that's excellent. What I didn't know and what about the stuff being less subtle, I liked... I did not know that, for example, in prisons, Aboriginals must remove all their facial hair but the whites don't have to. Like the whites were able to keep their long beards and long hair, but the, the Aboriginals weren't allowed to, which I thought was interesting. I also honestly didn't know about um, Aborig Aboriginals being used by the police to, to assist with drug dealing, which is kind of ironic. <laughs> mm -hmm. And the fact that they're actually manipulated to help the police, which I thought was quite an original presentation as well. Um, I would say this is an interesting companion piece with um, Ida, actually, Paul. I would. The difference being that both sides present... So the, the difference being between presenting both sides of the story in, in an engaging and balanced way, presenting lives, you can do that, but you can also be too scared to have an opinion on anything. Mm -hmm. And this, as you say, he's not pro, he's not against, he's just presenting stuff. Mm -hmm. Whereas the uh, Pavlovsky, I believe it was from uh, Isa, he didn't really want to present anything. Yep. He really was totally neutral in this. He, it, it, yes, the, the Jewish people, yes... The, uh, the people who were responsible for the court cases, all of them got their own various crosses to bear, so to speak. But I didn't, there, nothing really else happened apart from that, whereas this did have some opinions, and I really enjoyed reading them and reading from them. But what stopped this being great, Paul, and this is why I wanted to ask you about Rolf to hear, it was just slightly too sloppy at the end. He didn't quite know when to end it, and I, I, I keep banging on about the ending of films, 
at this point I'd like to say if you listen back to the podcast where we talked about films in 2014 the only film I actually complained about the ending was the Israeli film which I didn't even like mm-hmm. and that I, I didn't even put that forward anyway every single film on my list and on the joint list has a great ending and I think an ending cannot be underestimated. You... Let me just interrupt you there, because I watched it with someone who said it was a really good film, but the ending completely ruined it. Exactly. And I, I'm not going to go far and say it ruined it, but it did stop it from being film of the week, I must say, because <sighs> David Gopilili is also a... Gopilili is actually a co-writer as well. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that I think Rolf Tahir basically was... He steered the ship on the film. But to get access to the the, the um, Aboriginal stories and the people, because these are bona fide Aboriginals, make no mistake about it, I honestly think they had to make some sort of a deal where Gupili could actually have the final say on the film mm. and also obviously influence what went out. And a lot of it is really, really great, intriguing, again, authentic, original stuff. But it's... The way that it ends, and I don't mind... Give me more. Why? Yeah, I will, more? I will. I don't mind saying how it's going to end, because I think everyone's going to be disappointed whether they know about it or not. You know, for the fact that, you know, the majority of the film, to its credit, is showing the human side to the Aborigines. The need for independence, yes. Yes, the yearning for the society of old, but also their daily struggles and their attempts to integrate. The benefits office, for example, helping the police, going shopping... And even having money, we don't assume that the Aboriginals have money, but a lot of them have an account with a lot of money in them. So for the focus to shift away from all that, to move on to the stereotypical song and dance right at the end, it reminds me of when you see any animation film and all the characters come together for a big old song and dance at the end. It honestly felt like that. And at no point during the other bits of the film did it even get close to being like that. In fact, in other points of the film... Because, uh, as we know, there is there was talk, there's, as you've said, there's photos and evidence of him dancing with the Queen. Mm-hmm. And that is brought into the film. But that's where it stops. And, in fact, that is not... That was the stereotype of them dancing. But they left it at that. None of the other people were interested in that story. In fact, a lot of them found it quite boring that he keeps talking about it. So that movement of moving away from the stereotypical Aborigines, always dancing, singing, the traditional tribal war stuff... They, they parked all of that aside, focused on all of the social divide and class stuff, which was excellent, truly, truly great. But then they just couldn't resist. And there was one... I mean, my favourite stuff of the film, honestly, was the prison stuff. I thought that was probably some of the best filmmaking I've seen this year. And there was a wonderful, wonderful scene when he's peering out, peering out of the bars, completely shaven, not looking like the same man at all. He says, I want to go home. It fades to black, and I'm begging, begging for it to end then. What happens is that he returns to the village looking exactly the same as he did before he got arrested. Now, that is, a, again, is a continuity problem for me because... Surely that showed time had passed. Time had passed, but did he have to be... If he had changed, did he, did he have to be exactly the same? Did he have to be exactly the same? And that actually isn't about time passing. It's literally they filmed all those scenes first and did the prison scenes last. So, yeah, so when it's that obvious, it loses a bit of the illusion for me. But don't get me wrong, there were 45 minutes to an hour, maybe an hour and a quarter, that reaches higher than Eda, for example, never even came close to. But because Eda is consistent in its mediocrity, I would probably put that above this, because the ending, I'm not going to say it ruined it, but it did bring it down to a disappointment. Well, it was still my second favourite film no, no, of the week. Well, I, I would disagree, because actually I thought 
I thought like you until I saw the ending. Because I did, I thought, oh, it'll end here, it'll be perfect, end here, it'll be perfect. But what it was saying to me was even more powerful, that very end where he does decide to kind of like participate in the memory of his culture. And what to me he's saying is, is we're fucked. They're gonna fuck us. But I should get up and do what my community did. Because it doesn't matter. Because that's what we were and who we are. And and we are fucked. Utterly and totally. But instead of getting pissed, you know, and instead of being abused, I'm going to show the kids what we used to do. So in which case, why did they even sit around drinking and moping in the first place? Why weren't they like that sooner? Why, why, why did... Because of oppression. And that you do... And, and that's there's nothing wrong with that either. No. Because of oppression and that does that to you. It dehumanises, it takes your soul out. But equally, then it, it's fine that one or two people will say, let's remember something of the past and do it and have fun about ourselves and our lives. So I actually think it... It's very sentimental. It though. made it. And it's it not is, And it it's is. not a sentimental And film. it was saying that this is sentimental yeah. and actually banal and pointless in the face of all that's happening. But it was a grasp at holding on to... Sentimentality is a kind of heightened emotion of humanity and it was a, an attempt to sort of say... There's nothing wrong in trying to hold on to that if it stops you just drinking yourself to death and if that's what you want to do. And so I, I thought it added to it. No, I, But I, I can see why, because in fact the person I watched it with hated that ending no, I, I thought I, it undermined what had happened in the past. I, and I would suggest that some people who who would find this film too heavy would really enjoy that ending as well because it, it's 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 what they probably it's thought... It's a that, cathartic bit for it. They were, they were, yeah, it, it's what, it's, it would be what they were expecting the film to have more of, them dancing and all that kind of thing. So it's going to split. We're, we're obviously split well, on it's this. It's a bit like the dancing for the Queen because, again, the person I was wondering said, you know, but that's part of the oppression. And it is, absolutely. But it doesn't stop you being proud in what your community is and was and does. But so. I get those impressions from the scene when he's hanging out the bars, completely shut. I get the impression from that, and I'd rather, him saying I want to go home, that is nostalgic enough for me. That would have done the same purpose without resorting yeah. to this. No, but I think it's, it's, more, it's more than nostalgic, because I think that would have been nostalgic. It would have been a bit, a kind of a despairing. And in fact, there is nothing wrong in, because like, because the film fully recognises their culture is going to be wiped off of the face of the earth. An absolute genocide. It's already, it's basically yeah, already, like for example, you have to have a life. And I didn't yeah. think that ending undermined it. It just showed that, you know, how an individual may resort, instead of to drink, instead of to drugs, to sentimentality. And it's also saying, it's the same. That sentimentality is the same despair as that. And I thought that, was was really good. I'm not convinced, but I can I can see. But we both recommend the film anyway. Yeah, absolutely. So well done to Charlie's Country. Good absolutely. stuff. And uh, you, you you will be checking check out, out Bad Boy Bubby as well. Look no, at Bad Boy Bubby. I think so. I but you, you will, will love it. You will be checking out Rofty his next film. I've no doubt because you are well. You're a fan of the guy. I am. So a fan. That, that, that's I am uh, a fan. that's interesting. Does he ever make stuff in Holland? Uh, no, he doesn't. So there you go. He probably doesn't even speak Dutch probably, <laughs> probably so, not. you know but there is a, there is an Australian Dutch thing isn't there because uh, is. I believe one of the 
one of the, I think Brisbane Roar, not Brisbane Roar, one of the teams, uh, they're playing Holland and they've got a Dutch connection to Dutch immigrants. And, and they wear so orange. They don't, there they go. So, yeah, it's interesting. Anyway, moving on to our second, our Chinese representation this week, and that is, as if, as if we had one every week, it's that back to 1942, which is a very old film, actually. It's only just come out on disc earlier on this year. It's a war film based on the conflict between China and Japan, circa late 30s, early 40s, with a focus on the famine during that period. Again, I thought it was quite good. Did it deliver the necessary genre tropes? Yes. I thought it was emotional. I thought it was dramatic. It sickened when it needed to. I mean, you think we've seen people being blown up in war films so much. And yet it manages to present it in an impactful way. Well executed. What I like, Two things I like most about this film. First of all, I love its scale. The grandioseness of its scale. Because I'm kind of bored of films that just focus on the minutiae of war. Mm. Either one battalion... One trench, one God forbid marine unit. Because I hate those films. Enough Chi- about fury. In, exactly, <laughs> exactly. China is, after all, an absolutely enormous country geographically. So this film is about uh, an entire province, and you see an entire province on this film. It was excellent. It showed the political side, the barbarity of war, the senselessness of war. Everything you'd expect to see in a well-made war film, it did it. Did it do anything new? I thought it did. I like the look of religion in this film. Tim Robbins as a priest with a dodgy accent. Well, I would say there's two things that ruined it, and you've just mentioned the first one. Tim Robbins as a priest with a dodgy accent was utterly bizarre, but I felt his presence was an interesting challenge to religion because God doesn't care about war. He does nothing to stop it. Just like Tim Robbins never leaves the church. He barricades himself, and Tim Robbins being Tim Robbins is a bit portly at the moment. He's well fed, where the whole country is suffering from famine. And that, and, and the second thing I liked about religion in this film is that the and this is probably the stronger point: a re, the religion cannot heal the wounds caused by war. And that is shown in the in the first bombing scene when somebody tries to use a Bible to stop the bleeding, and then the bomb arrives and the whole Bible gets blown up into smithereens, and the pages are covered in blood. I thought that was an excellent scene. Also, credit to Adrian Brody. For playing his atypical poverty character via the standard kind of war journalist character we've seen a million times. But for once in his miserable acting career, he's actually not nearly as annoying as I thought he would be. The and second it, thing that ruined the <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't, funny enough, like Charles Country, I wasn't mad keen on the ending. But for me, there's no doubt this is far better than most American war films released in the past 10 years. And I'd recommend it without much hesitation. It, it captures the scale, absolutely. You know, 10 million people starved to death. And you actually and you felt like you were watching You it. do actually see it. 10 million people starving to death. I, I didn't mind the kind of like, the Adrian Brody comes in because there's, it's, it's trying to show how, uh, and it's funny because I didn't think it did undermine religion because, for example, uh, religion was, the, Tim Robbins says, you know, at one point something like, it's, it's people that kill, not God. And it, that's free will and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's the implication of it. And in a way, it showed that, that actually it was people's political machinations and ego and power-crazed nature that caused starvation, not God, that caused war, not God. So actually, I didn't think it did undermine religion, which I didn't have a problem with. Uh, no, no, but I, I thought it intended to, and that's what I thought was interesting, where it became a little bit that it wasn't too convinced. Given that, you know, this is made in communist China, which is, is totally anti-religion, 
and totally anti the kind of prior history to, before it existed. It was carrying out a lot of propaganda things. And I, don't get me wrong, I don't mind propaganda. Uh, so, and I thought that was quite interesting. And, and, and so I, I always quite like that as a side thing, because actually man creates almost all evil rather than anybody else, any spirit or devil or whatever. So, but, but I'm an atheist, but, so, but it's quite interesting. I didn't like the two Hollywood actors Indeed. in it. I, in the sense, I didn't mind the fact that there were non-Chinese people in it, but I thought I know these people too well that I'm looking at them as Tim Robbins and Adrian Brody. And I thought that undermined it slightly, and it would have been better if it had been actors less famous or people that I didn't know, that it would have worked better. Like a lot of the other Americans, because there's American diplomats in it that weren't played by well-known ah, actors. True. And I thought that worked a lot better, because I wasn't thinking, oh, you're in this for the American market. You're, you know, and so... If you've got a budget, you might as well spend it. To some extent, <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, because I do like quite Tim... I do quite like Tim Robbins. Who doesn't? And... Adrian Brody veers between why on earth does anybody let him in a movie and that was really good. So, uh, and, and he was the lesser of two evils in this. Uh, and it had a little bit, so that was a bit of a problem for me. But it is everything you say. I think it caps the grandeur, the scale, the kind of the immensity of it, the immensity of the nation. I think, you know, it made me look up on Wikipedia. Uh, oh, I did as well, yeah. Giant, you know, Chiang yeah. Kai-shek and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, if that if it makes you do that, that's really good. Because I didn't know anything about that. Although I knew about Chiang Kai-shek, and it's kind of like known for my childhood. Because obviously, when I was a kid and a young man, he was still alive. Uh, not you, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and so I remember coming on state visits from Taiwan and whatever. And it made you read about Taiwan. So, so it was all, all really good. And I did enjoy it. And it, it went quite quickly, given that it's... Uh, Two, two hours and a half, almost? Yeah. Not far? Yeah, yeah. So, but, but I love the scale of it, and I think they capture the scale. I have a slight cultural problem in some of the family arguments uh, on the kind of, like, uh, the walk, uh, the kind of walk away from poverty and, and hunger. And that, walks are very big in China, you know, uh, in Chinese history. Uh, the communist walks and all that kind of stuff, but that's another thing. But some of the cultural arguments, the subtitles made them seem a little bit comic occasionally. And so, and I have a little bit of a problem, but I thought that was my cultural uh, ignorance rather than it. There so, needed to be some humour, so I'm not ever going to complain about yeah, it. Yeah, so, but, but I think it was intentional. I thought it was more me reading that subtitle and those voices uh, kind of like that. Their subtitles. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, I would thoroughly recommend it, and it told me something I never knew and I wouldn't have sought out, and now I know, and I'm glad I know. Indeed. Well, I, I think uh, th- this was put forward for Gertrude as well. It, it, you're going to have to do well to, for a war film to make it onto... Because... The Americans think they do it best, and yeah. and and the, this this war didn't particularly put the Americans in a good light. I would have liked more politics, if anything. I really enjoyed the meeting when they were all talking about the the segregation of grain. I wish there'd been more of that. Yep. I, I applaud the film for having, and I know this sounds ridiculous, but they kept putting the names of other characters that you kept meeting. Yeah. That was very, very important. Because <laughs> you know I've struggled in films when there are so many characters, I forget who people are. Oh, that's the Minister of some, that's the minister of Interior, that's the Minister of Grain, that's the Minister of Wealth, that's the Minister of something else. And because obviously, it's very important because I just get lost. And yeah. obviously, yeah. a lot of people look similar, that isn't a racist yeah. point, it's just a fact for us. You know, yeah. there's not... 
you know, in those days you didn't have long hair, so all the people dressed the similar, that looked similar, so yeah. it's difficult to kind of grasp. Um, I accept your points about the two American actors, but for, it was purely for the fact that they didn't, they didn't particularly add much, but they didn't take away anything from me. Tim Robbins did take away. But I, I Because you're sitting there thinking, you know, if you're supposed to be, what, what was he supposed to be, Irish or something? I thought he was Irish. I thought, uh, and I, I thought we'll get an Irish actor. Well, yeah, well, like, yeah, it was a bit weird. It was but bit... equally, I wasn't one hundred percent sure he was supposed to be Irish. No, so that no, made no, me he, think his accent he, was even odder. It was a mixture between kind of Rastafarian, <laughs> Spanish, Spanish, and Irish. <laughs> it's quite curious. But I, I, I don't think the film was actually seeking to undermine it. I just think it was having an opinion. We don't think religion helps in war. Yeah, which I think is interesting because the Japanese have the complete opposite opinion. Absolutely. They think religion is central to war. You know, so ever since they su- summoned uh, a typhoon to wipe out an entire army coming towards their shores, yeah. they've always believed in religion. So I thought that was an interesting thing. I think I think we'll move on because I think we've both recommended it. Absolutely. And, uh, Absolutely. I think uh, the amount of money that China has got... I'd say it was my second film of the week, actually. That's interesting. I Charlie's think, first and back to 1942 second. This, I think... Uh, they just need to start making some more films, China, and and, and using the, their, their incredible wealth that they've got, or rather their tourist board, getting their films over to this country. Because yeah. this took three years to come to the UK. Yeah. I mean, that can't be right. Yeah. There, there's just something intrinsically wrong about that. Uh, especially, and the thing, and I think was what we discuss a lot, especially is when you think that a lot of the stuff we look at that's quite good or very good is so far superior to the shit we are served up week in, week out in British cinemas and you know people have just got to get that opportunity indeed well the opportunity is there it's available for rental and buying so I think people should definitely check it out moving on to a not the end of history tell us the key thing about the key thing about this is that it's a Filipino film no it's the key thing about it is that it's four hours long (laughs) yes four hours and five minutes to be exact, <laughs> and it's a film that explores the lives, and it, put, it was put forward for Gertrude, it's a film that explores the lives of three characters. Fabian, a law student who dropped out of his final year, Julian, a worker, and his wife, Elisa. All three lives change when one of those three commits a crime. Uh, what's the name of the director, Paul? Lav Diaz. Lav Diaz spends an entire four hours and five minutes of this film telling us there needs to be a revolution in the Philippines but who needs to do it? And where is it going to come from? Because of the lack of trust for the intellectuals to do it, they're regarded in this film as cowards and as dangerous, but also cowardly, yeah. which is kind of useless. The middle class can't do it because they're too busy having miserable and pointless lives with money that they're unable to spend. So where will the revolution come from? More generally, however, societally, the high quality education means nothing to the students of the Philippines as he only seeks to poison their minds, so the students can't do it either. There's no significant opportunities to advance in life, more so because they don't have money. So you've got people who have money that can't do anything with it, and you've got people who need money that have things to do, but they can't do those things because they haven't got money. It's a totally miserable situation. And I, I thought the Philippines was all happy and dancy and all that kind of thing, really, and full of attractive women. And there's one or two, of course. But talking at length about the revolution is in work and stuff in coffee shops is as far as it goes for most. And yet, when action is taken... Ironically enough, there's a slight improvement, I think, to the lives of the characters, to a point. Joaquin feels more worth, or even a purpose. Elisa gets more work as a result of the the murder, and therefore she gets money. She needed money, she gets the money. 
and yet the revolution cannot ultimately stop the human journey towards death. <laughs> and that's what you mean the, that a happy ending. That a lovely happy ending. Whether, whenever, whenever it's going to come, death is inevitable. The film explores the pros and cons on everything and everyone in every day's life. It's natural after watching such a long film, Paul. But they should have taken stuff out. It's always easy to think that one or two scenes they could have done without. But for me, for, for me, Paul, this film, the whole is greater than the sum of its individual scenes. It offers points of view, contradicts them later on. It's, it's balanced without being boring, a.k.a. Aida. I think it's a masterpiece of narrative and technical execution. I'm not sure it's going to be a surprise to you, but this is my film of the week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's far too long. In the sense that I don't have a problem with long films. Yes, you do. Well, I do. Right, boys, I'm... one hour and a half. Go home now. But, it, but it's, uh, no, no. The last film was two hours long, and, and even uh, Charlie's Country was nearly two hours long. But to me, it, there's so much in it that actually it's a trilogy. It's a trilogy of films, and I think it was probably even made as a trilogy of films, but then released <laughs> as one, and, and that to me is its problem. Plus, I've seen each of the elements of it done more effectively uh, in other things. And the, the, the kind of intellectual who, yeah. who becomes a rapist murderer or whatever. Fabian, yes. Yeah. I thought that that was a really weak story because it had no depth to it. It was quite a kind of caricature portrayal of that kind of mentality, you know, because Rope, Hitchcock did Rope, which was about a, a kind of intellectual student who thinks he can commit a murder and, and deal with notions of conscience and whatever. And, and and this was a bit of that, and that was saying a bit more than that, but I, I just thought that that was one of the weaker stories. And again, the poverty story and going to prison over a trivial crime and, and because of mistreatment by others, again, it, it I wasn't... I wouldn't call murder trivial... Uh, the person it, who died was fairly trivial. It, it, is, it is in movies, you know. Murder is a trivial thing in movies. And and equally, uh, so it was just all a bit of a hodgepodge that didn't come together. I think if it had had a, a stronger editor and and sort of focused on a bit more pace, it could have been an excellent film, even at, say, three hours. But I think once you start hitting four four hours, you really have lost it. And you think to yourself, well, make three films, because that's, in fact, what you are making is three films uh, that, you, that you need, that you, you believe in and you want to deliver. But it was the, 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 the kind of the killing intellectual. What was his name again? Fabian. Fabian. Uh, that I just thought, oh, God, I couldn't even talk But you like the other two. Uh, yes, but even then, I didn't think we're particularly, you know, him going to prison. I thought it was quite I thought, I thought I thought Wacky in prison was... Probably with the best of the three. But actually, in prison, again. In prison, In yes. prison. Yeah. I thought the in prison yep. stuff was the best bit of the entire movie. Mm-hmm. In prison. The culture of that, the relationships, the hierarchies. Absolutely. But I, I liked you everything. Give me that movie. I liked everything about everything. I can't complain at all. I, I really think it was a masterpiece. I'm going to stand by it. I, I, it was just... Again, you've got a problem with length. I don't. Um, and, and in fact... But then again, either could have been four hours and it, it would have been just as boring. It, when, the, when a film has something to say and it does it well, I couldn't care, albeit, albeit you don't think it does it well. I think it does. I don't care whether it's two hours, three hours, four, whatever. And I, I, I kind of get your point that this probably needs, needed to have been part one and part two. 
And it can be done in, in world cinema. It can be done, yeah. uh, and you, you can get distribution for that reason. Nymphomaniac parts one and two. Make no bones about it. You know, split it in two. Could have watched the. You could have made that a five-hour film because it is. Mm. But just split it into two makes it a little bit easier for people to digest. Well, bizarrely, actually, I would argue it needed to either be shorter or much longer. Well, I know that, and that's quite odd. But actually, I thought if you'd have given this six hours, you probably could have done more justice to each narrative, rather than the sudden. For example, the Fabian character, it does seem to have sudden turns that, that seem quite erratic. And, 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 you know, that's part of his character. But it's kind of like uh, the bit with his sister, obviously. Mm. Uh, seems a bit erratic to me within that whole narrative. Whereas I thought you, you, you needed more of that kind of relationship development. So it wasn't just about someone he met, uh, the first murder, the second thing and other things. And it was about... It was about much more things uh, and the relationship with the other intellectuals, etc. So actually, and again, I, I don't have a problem with length. I have a problem with length when it completely undermines the movie, and that's what this did. And six hours, it would have been better. So there's three movies in there. I loved all three of them. I thought, I thought it was absolutely excellent. I, I, like, I like, for example, I actually think Fabian's, Fabian's story it ended a bit sloppily, I accept, in as much as it didn't really end at all. But uh, there was some, re- there was a couple of individual moments where it kind of, I thought he brought everything together. When he hands over the court case of the murder that he committed to his other intellectual friends mm. and disappears, I thought that was a that was an interesting way of, of and so much of the intellectuals not putting two and two together again. Yep. Is that lab saying, well, actually, maybe the quality of education isn't that good in the Philippines after all? So no wonder we're a nation full of unemployed young people. I also. I could have done without the dog killing. That was seemed to be a little bit senseless, I admit. But I, I, his 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 general demise, it, it was a bit of a thought. But I feel the need. I feel I feel the need to pick faults just because you didn't like something, which is ridiculous. I, I I really really did like this film, and I would recommend it wholeheartedly. It is. It's certainly different. Um, and I, but I'll, I'll tell you one thing as well. I reckon this. We, there's been worse films that have made it onto the five. Oh, Not only this time, but also that last time and the time before that. Always. The Missing Pitch, for example, that yep. god-awful news around the CBBC show. Yep. Um, now this, <laughs> I think this has got that thing about it where it, it is unique in its length, for example, mm-hmm. and the, 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 the people at Gertrude are capable of putting things forward for a list because of that reason. Whether the film's good enough or not, they will do it anyway. But there's one scene in this film, Paul, that as soon as I saw it, it completely clicked into place why this didn't get even to the final shortlist. Mm. Are you thinking of the same scene that I am? Uh, tell me. I, I, my memories. Something to do with a plane being on the ground. I don't remember. A plane... Oh, bloody it. Right at the end, Paul. A plane crashing and burning on the ground. Because, of course, somebody, um, it, more than one character dies in this film. There was a plane crash, basically, on the ground. And uh, bodies everywhere. Mm. And I just think, if an American... And, and it was right towards the end as well. That was a plane crash? Yeah. Oh. So, I must uh, have blinked. So, uh, you didn't actually see the plane going down. But mm. uh, it was that it happened. Because you could see you could see the spinning um, thing from yeah. the engine. So, that happened. And I thought, well, an American is not going to... The, the Americans are not going to put forward a thing that has a plane crash at the end of a film. It's still a bit too... Sensitive. Too close. It's too, too close. close. It's too, too close. sensitive, and it, and, it, and it's they could have. Although, again, that fits into. How and, it, and I'm being unfair. I did not like this film. I think there's a lot going for it. 
I, I just think there's three films in it, and at equally it needed, in a way, it needed three films' lengths, which is five, five, six hours. I'll find room. <clears throat> I'll find room for this on my own list without doubt after the end of the year. Can't <clears throat> The Light and Shine's Only There is our um, last review for this week because we're going to look back at Battle Royale, but we're just going to have a casual chat, not whether we liked it or disliked it, just a general general chat as we do, looking back at people who have died or films and directors and things like that. But that's for later. For now, The Light Shine's Only There, and this was the Japanese Gertrude film. Follows the story of Tatsuo and his meagre existence in society. He spends his days walking about, playing on pachinko, after an accident at work, mentally scars him. His life changes when he meets Takuji, recently out of prison, and his sister, Chinatsu, and all three characters seek to find a place in their life. We've seen we, we've seen that we've been spoil, spoiled, Paul, absolutely spoiled, with some excellent Japanese films in recent times. I didn't like this one. I'm, I'm quite disappointed. For me, it was missing a few things. Firstly, I was engaged with the characters, but not emotionally invested in them. Whereas a lot of the films that we've been lucky enough to see was completely the opposite. I think uh, the director Mipo O Mipo Mipo San. I think Mipo San tried to give tried to give Tatsuo depth with the constant flashbacks to his accidents, but we never really got to know him all that well. And I'll accept that that ties in quite nicely with Japanese people generally. But being that this is cinema, I think you should strive to do a little bit more. And bearing in mind that you can present things like that, but still present characters as people you can warm to, as as in the films that we reviewed last year in Japanese cinema. It can be done, and I didn't, and didn't enjoy the execution of this. Furthermore, I wasn't satisfied, actually, with how the film dealt with the accident that happened on, on the in the quarry. And him getting over it. And it, it needed more depth. <clears throat> it needed more depth about, okay... So, somebody died, and he was not responsible, but roughly responsible. I wanted the aftermath of that. Mm. I wanted a bit more actually happening, so I could really gather why he was so upset. Considering this thing unhinges Tatsuo's life completely, it really did merit more explanation than the film actually gave to me. But generally speaking, again, they just weren't interesting enough people. Except for Takuji who represents the naturalistic, freer spirit, the newer generation of Japanese people that we talked about before. So it's, uh, it's not a surprise that Tatsuo himself found himself gravitating towards. Again, the problem being, though, is that Takuji was no Yonosuke. Or rather, he was, but a caricature of even Yonosuke, an overexcited performance that, for me, was a problem. But th- does that tie into the fact he was at heart even more miserable than the rest of them, but determined to overcome it via his radiant personality. We have seen that before, but done in a more interesting way, in my opinion. What I did like about this film was its blunt opinion on Japanese society, and that is there is nothing there apart from food and fucking. And you have, you have to be blunt about it, because this film is extremely blunt about it. There are some disturbing scenes of an old man in the family, which I'm sure you'll bring up, because that's disability. <laughs> as well as some other scenes that happen generally, there's a lot of food, there's a lot of fumbling. It was interesting that Tatsuo's relationship with Chinatsu was the only genuine one. The family relationships weren't that close, apart from the disabled father and the family, which you'll talk about. So, you know, in summary, this does sit alongside, like, Father Like Son, Yonosuke, Shady, and the departures that I've reviewed. As a Japanese film, looking inwardly at problems, doing it how each repressed character deals with it in their own way. But I don't like this film's approach to it. I didn't particularly enjoy it. It's not 
pleasant to watch, it's not entertaining, it's one or two steps from greatness. But it is interesting, it has got something to say, and therefore I would recommend it. I, I, I thought it was very good, actually. I did quite enjoy it. Third f- film of the week for me. Uh, <clears throat> I, I thought the portrayal of the family... It was about class. That was the key thing. It was about the underclass. It's not even a working class. It's an underclass exploited by the nouveau riche class. So there's a kind of a middle-class guy. He's got a job and, and exploits the poor to, to maintain his position. And it's, a, and it's a job that he can go back to at any time. Absolutely. And I, I did like, I thought there was a multiple disabled characters in it. The blonde-haired guy who, who was sort of vibrant and full of life, I thought he was supposed to have a learning difficulty. Uh, and I thought the whole key thing about... Yeah. Well, no, I think more than that. I think he was supposed to be, you know, have a learning disability as well as attracting a kind of hyperactive kind of uh, uh, body and mentality to kind of overcome the appearance of learning difficulty. I, I I always love a film where the author of the novel has topped himself soon after writing it. <laughs> That's always a bonus in, in a miserable film. And equally, uh, you can see why he topped himself soon after writing the novel. Because it is miserable and it is bleak. It's, it's, it, it includes kind of like incestuous child abuse uh, and, and kind of uh, uh, the, the lack of health care, uh, abject poverty... Uh, kind of ignorance, uh, low education, and and the whole kind of oppressive nature of Japanese society outside of the kind of cliches of the traditional kind of family model that actually really only apply to a kind of certain class. And yet they were so desperate to have those. There are lots of scenes of them eating together, doing yep. all the middle-class Japanese things, yep. but in, in, in a situation yep. where it's completely the opposite. The worst thing about it was it made me very hungry. Uh, for a lot of the Japanese food that they were eating. Indeed. Which, which was a bit disturbing, given how fat I am. Uh, but I thought it was very well directed. I loved the characterizations. I thought, you know, it, it, it worked really well. It, it was a bit too miserable to enjoy. I think the accident thing, in a way, I wish they hadn't told us anything about it. The accident. Yeah, I agree. That would have actually worked a lot better rather than you, you, you had a verbal, yeah. uh, this is what happened and how that trauma, you didn't need to see it or show and it. And then you can decide yes. whether he whether it's just for show or whether he is actually genuinely upset. Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't dangle the carrot and then take the carrot yeah. away. You know? and, and so, and I thought, and again, because it was so badly done, it was kind of like a bit pointless. There was things about the the coast, the coast and the mountains and all that kind of stuff that I thought were quite well. I thought the young actress who played whatever her name was Shinatsu. Uh, was was uh, I'm surprised you didn't like it more. Let's put it that way. Uh, I, but I thought she was very good. There's, I, there's plenty in the next film we're going to talk yeah. about. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought she was very good and deserved all the plaudits that she's got. I know she's won a few awards, kind of globally, for this film as as a kind of new actress. And I, I thought she was the best thing in it. I thought she captured it quite well, whilst maintaining a kind of hope. And I think she, in a way, was the only character, despite the fact that her life was the worst, who maintained any degree of hope for a better future and still believed in love, but in a kind of non-sentimental way. 
that worked exceptionally well and also the, the male suffering often as performance because mm-hmm. that's, that's what you were talking about I think from the main guy but I, I thought it worked really well it was just a bit in a way it was the accident thing that made it the third film of the week plus the other two were just you know Charlie's Country and Back to 42 are just on a different scale and, and, uh, and, they, they, and they dealt with different types of things I like, the, I like the way it ended but not how it ended it, it I, I, you know the sun rising, uh, and yes, she does represent hope, and she gets, and, and there is hope between those two at least. Yeah. Um, if not her, f- for being with somebody who's got a bit of money or something, for example. But equally in terms of love too. Um, but it does eke on the sentimental side. It, I mean, there's no getting away from that. And it's interesting you, you mentioned about the accident again because it, 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 Japanese directors don't normally have to justify people being miserable. Yeah. I mean, you know, like Father, like Son, you're on escape. We know why. Yeah. And they try to come, overcome it in their own ways. And then we also bring things to it, whether we had a similar experience at school or at college or board or whatever. Mm. So we can do all that for ourselves. We don't need to be told why a character... And we know by now, especially if we listen to this podcast, what Japanese society is like. And, uh, you know, I put forward three or four Japanese films uh, last year. I'm looking to double that for this year because that's how much I enjoy watching these things. So, you know, with that, well, hopefully you've gathered that we we like this this stuff. We know we're trying to tell you things about it. So you learn as well if you didn't already. Mm. So we all know in this film group together now, we all know what Japanese society is like. This, it was almost... And yet I don't get this as a, a Japanese film made for non-Japanese people. So quite why he actually took that approach is strange. It's a very Japanese film. I don't see it as being overly commercial over here. I don't think it's even. It's, it, it's, it won't be released. It, it's on rental, obviously, but yeah. on, on, you know, as all as global, all as all business. as all Gertrude nomination ones are. Yep. And yet, it just, just yeah, it's a few strange decisions from the director, which which me let it down a bit. But again, like it does fit in with all the other ones we talked about. It does it does offer something slightly different. So I think you need to watch all the Japanese. Not all of them are as good as each other. But I think... Uh, well, and I think it, it, it's about exploring a different class than a lot of, like, uh, like Father, Like Son, Yonishke, and then... Well, as you say, this is the underclass, whereas the other ones were working or middle. middle. Absolutely. Yeah. And so and I think that it's a nice companion piece. And it, it's almost like the Ken Loachian movie of its... Uh, although this is much more miserable than Ken Loach, uh, which takes some doing, but, he, but this... And I think it's a woman who directed it, actually, isn't it? Uh, because I thought I read that she, it's quite a change for the director as well, in that uh, he or she had previously done a lot of kind of frothy romantic comedies. Oh, right. So, back, so she's actually pulled an opinion out of the bag then. Absolutely. Really. And, and I think if that's the case, I think she did it very well. But well, I would also explain the, the kind of female character. Yeah being a lot stronger in it as well. And I think that, that worked quite well. Which was Well, that, doesn't that kind of... Not excuse, but that actually makes a lot of... Sense. It makes a lot of sense of why this female director, because she uh, she would feel the need to have things explained to us, whereas <laughs> men just don't give a toss. Do we don't, do we? We just, we just put things... Well, and I think a, a difficult thing as well... And is, the ending is very female. Well, very female. Uh, a little bit, but and I appreciate that. But I think the key thing is, is it's from a novel. Yeah, and again, novels often have a lot more in it that you feel you need to show, uh, and again, that's a problem. Where whereas I think a lot of the things, the other Japanese things we watch are original, original stories. So you know that you're working in a very shorter time period, so you don't have that many things in it. Whereas if you're doing it from a novel, it's kind of like 
that's a key bit. I've got to show that. And I think that's got nothing to do with man or woman, but it's kind of like that, that's a pressure. Especially, and again, because we don't know. The novel is very famous, it's very popular. Uh, that could be one of the talked about scenes in it, is, is that. Whereas, it, 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 you know, it kind of undermined the film a bit, and it, but it didn't mean anything to us either. So there's all those things in there that I think when you watch a foreign film that you have no idea about the history of it coming to it, affect a film that, you know, and again, if you've read the novel, and it would probably be that that would be the primal audience. You couldn't leave that out. Do you know what I mean? So there's yeah. things there that, that are interesting. But that's that's the whole part of filmmaking that make it uh, very interesting. And I think Jeremy speaks she did do a good job. It's just that what she yeah. did, I didn't quite like as much as things that were. I, I would have had it as my film of the week if it hadn't have had two other really, really strong ones from a director I really like, Charlie's Country, and the scale and scope of Back to 1942. Because isn't it funny how, very quickly before we move on, very quickly about Back to 1942, that the Americans do have the biggest budgets for movies. There are no two... Uh, and yet they never actually get... And America's a bloody big country as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when they do have these things happening, for example, in the historical American battles and things, it's always so, so claustrophobic. And they would say... The roadkill. And, and they would say that it's, it's deliberate. And, and it's like, yes, but even psychological war films take place in big, wide-open spaces. Not all of them are in somebody's head. You know, they're in somebody's head in a trench, in a field, in a province. Absolutely. So, you know, well done for the Chinese for that again. So uh, this has been an interesting week. We're not quite done yet, because we're going to look back at a seminal piece of Japanese cinema, Paul, and that is Battle Royale. Now, I would say, for anyone who knows very little about Japanese cinema, in which case they haven't listened to other episodes of the Outside Centre Film Podcast... There are two Japanese films that have brought Japanese cinema to the world mm. and made them a, a, a country where people will watch their stuff. The first is Audition from Mike. Now, Mike has got a film coming out on release, rental release. His, not, not, his recent film it hasn't even been out in Japan yet, so the one before that came out a couple of years ago. It took two years to come out on disc. We shall review that because it's Mike. Mike is somebody you must watch. And Audition is a classic. And the other film, the other seminal Japanese film, is this one. I'm not going to patronise anybody. It's a cult classic, so I'm sure all of you have, listened, have seen it already. But just in case you haven't, in order to control an ever-increasing disillusioned and disaffected youth, the Japanese government passes the Battle Royale Act, and school classes are chosen at random to go to a deserted island and kill each other off, with only the winner allowed to return home. It's got all, and by the sounds of it, if, you can probably work out for yourself. It was banned from numerous countries. It took 11 years to get distributed in the US, which is ironic because they make some of the most grotesque movies going, particularly in the horror genre. But what I want to focus on with this, Paul, is where you see this film's influence because it is so obvious. Mm-hmm. Without even being told, you would know that Tarantino is a film and he, and he championed this a lot. And this came out in 2000 slash 2001. A special edition came out a year after its original release. And what was to come out two years after that? Kill Ball, Kill Ball Volume 1. Mm-hmm. And I, without doubt, Paul, if this film had not happened, Tarantino would not have made Kill Bill. There can be so little doubt about Well, that. that's one thing to hold against it. <coughs> I'm not a fan of Kill Bill. Indeed not. I'm not a fan of Tarantino. Well, I quite like Tarantino, but I think Kill Bill was, uh, in a way, was too much influenced by this. It it became a kind of exercise in in kind of this kind of film. 
So, you're a fan of this Battle Royale? Oh, I'm a fan of Battle Royale, but I'm more interested here. Well, I'm... it's not Again, it's not really whether we like it or dislike it. I'm just yeah. the influence. Where, uh, yeah. And not just the brutal killing. Oh, I, I was very... It was, I thought it was very interesting because uh, it seemed very old. And I know it is 15 years old, but actually it seems so much technology, older. It's that it's a in-between period, isn't yeah, it? So, like the late yeah. 90s where things were... Technology th- was, was, was kind of in-between being brilliant as it was from the mid-2000s. So to you, to you, leave it, letting go of the early 90s where it was crap. Yeah, that but you VHS. know it's been banned for, you presume, violence. But actually the violence isn't bad at all, really. Is it? Is it not more for the fact that females... Are so brutally murdered in this, and, and it's the female thing that it's the kids and the female thing. You can't touch those guys. Well, I presume it was about kids killing, yeah, as opposed to anything else. To me, it is uh, Lord of the Lord of the Flies, which is a sixties film yeah. from a, a William, whatever his name is, wrote the book, uh, and about a group of children who were left on a desert island and uh, and kind of fend for themselves and they split into two groups the helpful and then the the kind of aggressive and and how that evolves and this is basically their kind of modernized version of it taken to extremes with their tendency towards violence uh, and the conclusion i must admit i was very disappointed i hadn't seen it before i was very disappointed in it and i was surprised it was as influential as it was uh, because, again, you can see it in a lot of teen movies uh, since then, American ones that almost no one sees except drive-ins or yeah. you know, the kind of eight, uh, 14 to 21-year-olds mm-hmm. who, who go and see a lot of crap American stuff. Uh, and its influence on that has been enormous, absolutely enormous. There's probably hundreds and hundreds of films that it's uh, infected, uh, affected, because I don't mean it in a bad way, because I did quite enjoy it as a kind of romp but it was a romp, and I was surprised that it wasn't either more political, more gory, or more a kind of, uh, I don't know, but it just lacked so many things for me that its significance really surprised me. And actually, I thought perhaps it was a comedy. Well, it, it, it is full of black, black humour. It is absolutely full of it, and one of the, the, the one of the best characters for me is played by the genius, the legend that is Beat Takeshi. Absolutely, he, I mean he is a wonderful, wonderful actor. Absolutely, and a director, and a producer. He has a talent school. He's he 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 is good at everything. He's and and he's good in this, and he. And, and of course, we saw him in Beyond Outrage. Last Beyond Outrage, which wasn't too bad as well. Yakuza film. Yep. Um, it was. I mean, the thing is, I clearly films have taken. It's very difficult when you watch a film that, as you say, what you're trying to say is it's dated. More than Visually. That. More than that. Because actually, I remember films uh, before that where the violence was much more realistic or much more gory, and this just wasn't. And I thought it was almost intentionally dated or trapped in some of the tropes of the kind of violent movies of, like, the one-armed bandit and the... One-eyed samurai and uh, Zatoishi, that kind yeah. of violence that that is quite or even Monkey. I suppose you don't remember Monkey. That was a TV series in the seventies that was that a lot of kids watched. It had a kind of uh, caricaturish to it that I thought undermined this because actually it would have been a lot more powerful in every element: political, sociological, uh, kind of impact. If it had not been that. So what if, I, what if I was to say to you that the killing is actually the least important bit of it? Uh, 
it's more the commentary and the society behind it. I mean, it's made by Kinji Fukuzaku, who is, again, one of the legendary names of Japanese cinema. At the time, he was 70 when he made this. And this was his last film before he dies. And he wanted to go out on a bang. And just in all of his years of working in the industry, and even just life in Japan in general, it's it's not an uncommon thing for Japanese men or, or Asian men to make films where they really do attack the younger generation because they do not see that the generation is going to take forward the yep. the, the country to where it needs to go. Yeah. I mean, we saw that bloody god-awful Korean film, uh, Nobody's Daughter Hay One, yeah. that was the most bitter, angsty, anti-younger generation film you'll ever see. This disguises all that stuff through gorgeous women in school uniform. Very good, very nice. Handsome teenagers, handsome teenage uh, males as well for those that like that, and lots and lots of comic book style. Yeah, you need to rephrase that. Handsome men and handsome women, indeed. <laughs> uh, lots of lots of comic book violence, and it is comic book violence. Lots of Japanese society in there as well. I love the video. The instru- In fact, for me, the thing about Battle Royale is that the first hour is the best bit about it. The first forty-five minutes, to be more specific, when everybody arrives. When they sit down in front of that video, Beat Takeshi's brilliant when he's presenting that video. The humour he brings to it. And the video itself is a cliche of all those anime characters that obviously... I mean, the height of anime was the, the dawn of the millennium in Japan with the Pokemon and everything else, Digimon and all the rest of it that's still going on, the manga and all that kind of stuff. It, it It's not necessarily known for being a classic because of how well it executes things. It's known as a classic because it did all of this stuff in one film at that time that nobody else had done up to that point. In Japan, there are a lot of slasher horror films in Japan. They've been they were doing them for ages, as you mentioned some of them already. Lots of gore. But to modernise it, at the turn of the century, as Fukasaku did, I thought it was... A, I, generally speaking, it, doesn't, it hasn't aged well. But as a piece that influenced so much going forward, for better or for worse, Battle Royale is unmistakably Battle Royale, and it's a cult film. It's a cult film, as generally speaking, always film. It's become a cult film. And it, you, there's a lot of those films, like um, kind of films that involve like uh, cannibalism and things like that, that, yeah. get, that get banned worldwide, and, you, and then you watch it and you think, oh, so all you really did was kill a turtle, take its shell off, fry it, yeah. eat the turtle. And that was the only thing that that was really grotesque in the film. So it carries the reputation more than the actual quality of its content. But that's why we're looking back at it. I, to, try, I, to try and explore uh, why it did that. In a way, I, I think you, you made me remember what the key problem was. <clears throat> and that's that there's too many kids. The class is too big. Because I thought it did come across as a bit of, a bitter kind of rant of an old man yep. against youth. Yeah. Rather than have any degree to kind of understand relationships and character. So it became very much of a cartoon. And the key reason for that was is because there's an enormous number of kids. They may well have large classes. In they Japan. certainly do. But, you know, I, I don't know. But equally, when you start with like one down, 39 to go kind of thing, you know, victim one of 40... It was just too much, and it needed more character development. Combined with the fact they have a lot of... There's a lot of kind of violent comedy, comedy violence in Japan. Like you say, uh, Kitano, uh, Beat Kiteshi, 
you know, Takeshi's Castle. Have you ever seen that? I certainly have. Uh, and of course, that's been going from bef- around this yeah. film. So, and again, that that's all linked to that. And I remember watching Takeshi's Castle and being stunned by yeah. this product, that he was in it. Yeah. Because <laughs> to me, Kitano uh, Kiteshi is this great actor, yeah. uh, you know, uh, an intellectual, a kind of like a true master. And he's appearing in comic mm. show, he's game do- show yeah, shit. Yeah, absolutely. Of, of violence. And so... That, to me, is baffling. The Takeshi Brothers is <clears throat> excellence. Absolutely. It's, it's, <laughs> it's utterly baffling, and it's on Challenge. Challenge, yeah. One of those crap television channels. So that, I think there was far too much that I didn't... that isn't part of my culture. Plus, then when I looked at it from my perspective, I needed it to be more than it was. Because it, it does try to have a little bit of understanding of young people at the end and pick out, like, there are one or two that... That can take it forward, perhaps. I thought it showed quite. I thought it showed quite well that, like, showing them playing sport. It does try to remind you that they actually, yes, I, I, Japan generally has a problem with. It may not just be for Kasaka. I think generally, I think he re, he wants to represent what he thinks his generation thinks yeah. of the younger generation. There is a bit of. Yeah, they they were normal people at some point, but now we just want to get rid of them because they have developed as they've got older into something a lot worse for our country. But then he did try to understand. He them. did like, try. The, to... the, one of the girls is is a very unpleasant, borderline psychopath. But then it turns out that it, that her mother hired her out as a child prostitute, uh, and it's kind which, of like... by the way, was only in the special edition. That wasn't the original intention. That was shot a year after the film came out. Was it? Because it seemed quite odd. It was odd. And again, and it, it didn't work giving some characters characterisation and others, the mass of the others, not. And again, so it needed to be to be a good film. And don't get me wrong, I enjoyed it. Oh, no, they're, they're, yeah, I enjoyed it. But what, what, one thing but that... there were too many things it was making me think about to undermine it from being really good. Uh, you know, that I just thought... Well, but, you know, again, the point is, is that it's not important whether we like this or not because this has become... But I would recommend it. Yeah, no, but again, but that that is that is important because this is in the history books as one of Japanese top t- Japan's top ten grossing films of all time of all time. So therefore, it's done its duty. Absolutely. So, and uh, I would recommend people watch it. it. Well, I'll tell you what's interesting that um, is that uh, people very much like the Hunger Games. The Hunger Games is a massive thing, and the the, the author of the Hunger Games says she's never heard of Battle Royale. Pull the other one. Yeah. Pull the fucking. It, well, it, it is simply not possible for well, you to. Well, to some it doesn't matter if she hasn't. The director, absolutely, has, of the movies has. But but like, and it, that's the key. It, it, it is quite clear that this, the Hunger Games, is an Americanization of Battle Royale. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, the only thing I'm surprised by is that Tarantino himself didn't do it. Yeah. And that Tarantino himself did not do a remake because it actually would have been far better if he would have done it than to turn it. Than to convert that from oh, the Hunger Games novel oh, to this. Yeah, although, although most Tarantino movies are a version of this. They are pretty. Even, yeah. even Django is, is pretty much, you know, you kind of like mixes bits of this in. But I, I did enjoy it. I don't, don't get me wrong. It, it, it Relative to all of the other movies I think we've seen, it's short. It's short, it's sweet and enjoyable. And, you know, there's lots to look at, lots to enjoy in it. it it's, I mean, again, most of us have seen it, but if you haven't, then I think it's never been easier to get, get a copy of it, unlike years ago. <laughs> it's everywhere. It is absolutely everywhere. So I think we'll wrap it up for uh, this week on the podcast. We shall see you in a couple of weeks' time where we're going to be doing it all over again. Um, we've been promising it for a while. Don't worry, we will return with news. Yes, news will be back. There's lots of news to talk about as well. Most of it isn't good. So join us in a couple of weeks for that. But for now, we're signing off.